It is a sport as old as man itself. From the ancient Greeks to the British Empire, all the way to the Gracie family, men and women have partaken in this art of combat with the promise of honor and glory in mind. Now, WFUV Sports will bring you into that realm with in-depth analysis and opinions on the goings-on in the world of boxing and mixed martial arts. This is the WFUV Sports Pound for Pound Podcast. And it is another very special edition of the WFUV Sports Pound for Pound Podcast. It is our UFC 205 preview show on this Thursday, November the 10th, 2016. James Cargan here alongside me is the voice of God, Tom Trizuli. The venerable Mario Castro, as always, producing for us. And to start this show, we have a very, very special guest here for you today. I think we can guess by this song who it is. It is Matt Hughes. The th- this song still has to give you chills, Matt. <laughs> I don't. I don't listen to the song uh, much. <laughs> uh, I just. I just don't. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Doing good. We're doing great, Good. and Good. Uh, I know you're in New York, and this is such yep. such an exciting time. Do you have to be envious of these new guys to fight in MSG? Do you wish? Did you do you wish that you were in the UFC right now on this card? Yes, yes. Actually, before I uh, retired, I, I had fought in the Staples Center UFC 60 against mm-hmm. Boyce Gracie. And I wanted to, as soon as I fought there in Staples Center, I wanted to fight, uh, fight on the other side of the, of the United States and fight at Madison Square Gardens, and it just never happened. But, yes, very envious. I want to be on this. I would have loved to have been on this card um, right now. I just, I just wanted to fight at Madison Square Garden. You mentioned, obviously, your desire to fight at Madison Square Garden after fighting at the Staples Center, but in all your years in MMA, you accomplished everything there is to accomplish. Did you ever think the UFC would ever hold an event in New York in Madison Square Garden? Did you think it would ever happen? I, I did. I did. You know, after, and it wouldn't have been until after the Ultimate Fighter and Spike TV. You know, those are the two things that really blew this sport up, in my opinion. But um, after, after that, yeah, we were going to go places. We were going to do big things, and, and the, there was going to be no place that we couldn't be in the United States for sure. So, so yes, I would. Yes, I thought it was going to happen someday. I just, I didn't know my clock was going to tick too fast for it, uh, <laughs> for it to be here. Now, you mentioned the Ultimate Fighter and things that propped the UFC up to this point, but do you yourself feel pride in being a part of the group that paved the way? for this to happen, that group including guys like Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, BJ Penn, George St. Pierre. Do you feel pride in pushing the UFC to this point? Oh, most most definitely. Um, very, And more than pride, I would have to say I love the fact that I competed in what I consider the golden days of the UFC. Mm-hmm. It was not so commercial. Uh, what was there, three, three pay-per-views a year, three or four pay-per-views a yep. year or something? And just I mean, I really, I feel, got to connect with my fans. My fans knew who I was. And now there's so many fights. Uh, I, I feel the fans can't keep track of of the uh, the fighters. 
So I, I'm really happy I competed when I did in uh, the foundation uh, of the UFC. You being one of those fighters that paved the way in the golden age, as you put it. Now, looking at the current age, looking at the card of UFC 205, do you see anyone fighting on that card this weekend that you see a little bit of yourself in or your style in? Uh, you know, I, a, a little, you know, Eddie's, Eddie's an, old, uh, you know, an older guy. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm... I, I like that. I, you know, I, I always somewhat root for the older guy just because that represents me. So, uh, so yeah, you know, um, and Eddie would, would have maybe my style this weekend. You know, I always told my opponents right off the bat, I'm going to take you down and I'm going to beat you up. And if you can do anything about it, then you're the better man. And I think Eddie's going to have that, uh, that, term, uh, that thought process this weekend. He's going to stay in tight. He's going to try and take Connor down. And he's going to try to beat him up on the ground. What do you think is the biggest difference with mixed martial arts now that it was than it was in your era? What do you think is the biggest difference? Uh, it's so commercial now. You know, everybody's covering it. Everybody's uh, got it on TV. You know, it's on Fox now, pay per view. Um, so I mean, it's just I feel it's so commercial now. When I uh, my first UFC was UFC 22, it was still owned by SEG. Had wow. several fights for SEG back in the day. So, I mean, um, it's just a lot different. And then when, when Zufa bought the UFC in, in early 01, uh, I, I won the title in late 01. So, I mean, I was one of their first champions, and <laughs> you knew everybody. I mean, I don't know if there was 10, 20 employees in the UFC, but I knew absolutely everybody. Now there's only over uh, 450 employees in the UFC, let alone fighters, you know, another 450 fighters. And I keep I can't keep track of anybody nowadays. It seems like it's hard for us. Uh, and just a trip back in memory lane, UFC 22, you fought Valery Ignatov. 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 Yeah. Yes, September 24th, 1999, Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's a long way from Lake Charles now. <laughs> yes, sir. You're exactly right. So we talk about. This weekend, the most hyped card in the history of the UFC, seven current or former world champions. And we're finding this stark difference between the commercialized UFC that we see now that's on Fox, that's covered by all the mainstream sports networks, and the UFC that you made your name in, the one where you won the welterweight title two times. In your time in the UFC in that period, that less commercialized period, what was your UFC 205? Was there a card that stuck out to you that was like, this is a big one? You know the 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 Staples Center was it was a big card for me. Um, so so yes, that that was a big one for me. But you know I was always with Chuck Liddell. It seemed like he you know uh, or around, or with Randy Couture. So when I was around those bigger bigger guys, the bigger profile guys, I they were all big for me. They they just they just were. You know uh, Chuck and I are very good friends, and I just I I enjoyed fighting with with him. But uh, you know that the UFCs were so somewhat spread out that they were all just so big mm-hmm. and and not like they are now. Yeah, and it was so different back then because in the really early days, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, you were fighting in other promotions along with the UFC, something that is unheard of today. Yeah, uh, yeah. back before I was the champion for the UFC, I could fight in another organization. They really didn't care. Uh, but now, then, when I, once I become the champion, you know they they don't want their champion losing on somebody else's show, so uh, so that stopped. But yeah, be, uh, before you could you could you could float around quite a bit. Now I want to talk about some of the fights uh, on this card, and of course, 
Naturally, we have to talk about the welterweight championship fight first between Tyron Woodley and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. First of all, who you, who do you have in this fight? And second of all, how unique to you is Stephen Thompson? Yeah, um, well, I think Thompson probably has a little bit uh, of advantage uh, in this fight. Uh, uh, Tyron, you know, he's got that big right hand, but and he showed that in the last fight. But I, I just don't see, you know, everybody has tendencies and everybody has weaknesses. And it's my job as a fighter or a coach to come up with a game plan against that. So you would think Thompson knows what uh, Tyron's going to be going for and and try and execute that same punch. So you kind of think that, uh, that that's not going to happen with all with all that he's seen and he knows he can do to, to prevent that. So I think uh, without that, you know, uh, Tyron's going to have an uphill battle. Which fight on the main card sticks out to you as the one that I'm really excited to see this one? Is it the welterweight matchup or is it something else? No, it's that one. It's it's that one for me, sure, for sure. Uh, you know, um, yeah, I want to see. I want to watch Connor, and I want to watch the girls. You know, uh, Joanna uh, trying to defend her belt. I like I like both both them, both the girls. But uh, uh, watching Tyron and Wonderboy, you know, obviously being a former champion in that weight class, uh, that's that's what I want to watch. Well, of course, we got to give you the obligatory Conor McGregor question. Has there been anyone in your career in the UFC that you can even compare to what he is to the UFC now in terms of the control he has over the fights, the self-promotion, how mainstream he has become? Would it be Liddell? Would it be someone else that you could compare him to? Well, you know, the thing about Conor is he'll fight anybody. He really will, even though I think he talks too much. <laughs> and and this and that, uh, he will he will seriously he'll fight anybody, uh, really at any weight class. So I do give him that. But uh, you know, people are, some people are going to tell you that Ronda Rousey is bigger than than Conor McGregor. I I tend to believe uh, as of right now, uh, Conor's uh, a bigger figure in the world. Mm-hmm. But um, but you know, uh, Ronda's right there. You know, the first woman to compete champion and this and that she's 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 a big deal there is no doubt that she is a big deal maybe we'll find that out one day if they're ever on the same card but uh you know never... i don't know why do you put those those two workhorses on the same card exactly you know, exactly you know saying so i don't know if that'll ever happen now uh more important than fighting of course is that tomorrow is veterans day and i just want to ask you about some of the work that you've done and are planning on doing with veterans and the first responders. Well, I'm I'm here uh, for Harley with Harley, and uh, they they've done an excellent job in supporting the military. You know, they uh, they got a very well documented hundred plus years of helping the military, so they're in that as well. And um, <clears throat> they've got a program going on right now where they'll teach. Uh, former and current um, military first responders how to ride for free, and it's a pretty pretty good deal. Um, you know, I would say there's a lot of similarity, similarities with uh, the military and and uh, riding a bike, uh, a motorcycle, we'll say. So, I mean, it, it, out on the open road, one of the same reasons why I, I ride a bike as much as I do, why I own a, own a Harley, is because I just get that feeling I'm out here on my road, I'm doing what I want, and uh, nobody's nobody's telling me what to do or how to do it. 
uh, just me and, and out in nature. So uh, Harley's trying to help out with that. And uh, they've also got a huge uh, viewing party in the Middle East. Uh, they got, uh, I don't know, 750 uh, uh, seats available for all the Middle East uh, veterans that are there, the military that are there. So that is a huge deal. And giveaways, and they're giving Harleys away to these guys when they come back home. Mm-hmm. So um, a big deal. But, you know, there's a low morality rate right now in the Middle East, and they're doing what they can to bring that up. You talk about the similarities between being in the military and riding a motorcycle. What would those be for you? I mean, just, just the open road. You know, these guys are out uh, on patrol. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're bunked up and everything. And when you're with your buddies out on a bike on the open road, you can talk, but you're really doing your own thing on your bike. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's one with nature and that's, uh, these guys are kind of doing the same thing out on the patrols and, and, uh, isolated away from their families or this and that. And, um, it's a, it's a good therapy to come back from a long deployment, get on a bike and just, uh, think about things. Well, there is no doubt who the real ultimate fighters are <clears throat> in this country. It is the military veterans and we thank you and Wish you all the best in your work with these brave military veterans. And we thank you also for being on this show. Are you, I assume you will be there on Saturday night. Yep. I'll, be, I'll probably be in the back uh, helping out a little bit and making sure it's smooth uh, behind the curtain there. But, uh, yeah, I'll be there watching uh, via some TV in the back, I'm guessing. <laughs> well... Uh, that was Matt Hughes. Matt, thank you so much for coming on this show, and enjoy Saturday night. Matt, thanks a lot. Hey, thank you guys. You know, once again, thanks to all the military out there for the service of the country, and uh, you guys keep doing what you're doing. Get the word out there. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. And that was the legendary UFC Hall of Famer, Matt Hughes. Such an interesting guy to talk to. It's so interesting, especially now with the biggest card in mixed martial arts history only Tuesday only 2 days away it's so interesting to look back at what he described as the golden era of the UFC and just how things have changed not just outside the octagon because we know everything's changed but inside the octagon too we had more wrestler type mm-hmm. sluggers uh a lot more slugfests as opposed to guys that are more unorthodox today. Yeah, it's such. A, it was such an interesting juxtaposition because here we are, as you mentioned, two days away from the biggest card history of the UFC, the history of mixed martial arts as a sport, just two days away. And then we're talking and getting the perspective of someone who's who was there when these guys were just beating the hell out of each other to almost zero fanfare at the time. So it's And you could really tell the passion in his voice when he was talking about that golden age and how much pride he takes in being someone who laid that foundation in order for the UFC to be where it is today. You see, I think I compare the UFC back then sort of like it, it was a cult following. Mm-hmm. I, it not, this is a crazy comparison. I know this isn't quite like it is but the NHL has a passionate following a dedicated following and a following that is sort of uh what's the word a it's a fraternity Uh uh-huh it's sort of a fraternity in a way and that's how I think the old UFC 
following and the old UFC branding was, and those fi- and those fans and those fighters, Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, uh, Tito Ortiz, Hughes, and th- th- those were those were good days for the sport, and and it's led to in a lot of ways better days. But in some ways, it lacks a lot of that passion today. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different atmosphere. And you could tell in the interview that he used the word commercialized a couple of times. And he clearly did not like the commercialized aspect of what the UFC is now. As you mentioned, it was more of like a bond back then. It was like this cult following, this small niche group. And now it's become a legitimized sport, which comes with a ton of positives, not going to lie. I, I think it's mostly positives. Mostly positives, but then it also takes away somewhat that fraternity, that underground aspect of it, and they're, they're probably never going to be getting that back again. Now, we are going to be getting to our official UFC 205 picks, but first, uh, a couple news and notes. This past Saturday night, Manny Pacquiao did... What we all expected him to do, everyone, which on this was <laughs> become the WBO welterweight champion of the world and defeat Jesse Vargas. But Jesse Vargas did impress me in some ways. He put up a pretty good fight. A lot of those rounds were close. I do have to admit, and a lot and a lot of exchanges. Jesse was there slugging it out with mm-hmm. Manny. He had no fear. Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't this one-sided decimation that we unfortunately see a lot of the time in the boxing world. I think everybody knew that Pacquiao was going to come in and fight the way he did and beat Vargas just based on style and talent-wise, but Vargas wasn't there just to get a paycheck. He was there to put on a good fight, and he was there to try to win. He was defending his title. Against Manny. He was defending his title, and... It was just a case of Manny having, even at his age, 37 years old, Manny having just simply more talent than Vargas. And even with all the heart that Vargas showed, the talent of Manny shined through. And and it's amazing, even at 37, to see Manny fought this well. Manny Pacquiao looked like Manny Pacquiao, which, Mm -hmm. honestly, I thought we would see. You know, I I was not on the washed up train. I don't even know why people were on the washed up train. There were no there was no real reason to be on that train. Manny showed nothing in terms of decline. His no. his loss to Mayweather really I don't even con- I don't count that. No, you yeah, no, you don't count that. I was not on the train of Manny at all being washed up. I was on the train of why'd you even retire in the first place if you weren't going to stay retired? Everyone knew that he could still fight when he announced his retirement, in air quotes, and then he comes back almost immediately after. But he looked in great shape. He looked like he can. He has at least a few title defenses under his belt if that's what he wants to do. And then he talked at the end of the fight about fighting whoever the fans want to see him fight. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But Manny definitely looked like he was the old Manny Pacquiao in ring shape. And nobody counts the Mayweather fight. Once again, I say this every time that fight gets brought up. The less said about that, the better. And speaking of which, it looks like we will probably be seeing it again. Pacquiao Mayweather? What are you, it looks is like it on the laptop? What are you Bob Arum has said that it is likely that Manny Pacquiao's next fight will be against Floyd Mayweather. Wow. Now, it would be more interesting in my mind 
to see Manny or Floyd. Because, you know what, if Floyd wants to come back, then of course he can come back. It would be so interesting and, quite frankly, so much better to see these guys take on the young talent, Mm -hmm. the up-and-comers, the people that are already there in the welterweight division. Someone like Keith Thurman. Absolutely. Someone like Kel Brook. Yeah. You know, those guys are waiting to to prove themselves amongst these elites, mm-hmm. but instead it looks like Floyd and Manny will go for the second cash grab and run it back. Look, I'm absolutely with you there, giving someone like a Thurman or a Brook a chance to really give themselves some type of name value if they can even put up a a good fight, let alone win, against someone like a Mayweather or a Pacquiao. Obviously, Mayweather was at ringside for the Vargas-Pacquiao fight. Obviously, boxing, I could see the other side, because obviously boxing is struggling with bringing in that casual fan. Nine out of ten casual fans in this day and age are going to UFC. That's just how it is. Well, you know, one and, way to bring in these casual fans is, to use a wrestling term, to put guys over. That's true, and they would be putting someone like a Brook or a Thurman over, but I think what Bob Arum is thinking is the only way we can draw casual fans right now is to get people to, to come by Pacquiao Mayweather because those are the only guys that have name value, but them not giving these young guys a chance is the whole reason nobody else has name value. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense, and they could give someone like a Thurman or a Brook more name value and ele- elevate them to star level, but... That's obviously not what Aram's thinking. And it's going to be interesting to see the buy rate that this second rematch gets, obviously, if everything comes together. Because, obviously, the reaction was not the greatest after the first fight. And Mayweather knows this better than anybody. When he fought Oscar De La Hoya, which became, which at the time was the largest pay-per-view buy rate of all time, this was the legend in De La Hoya versus the up-and-coming, undefeated, number one contender, Floyd, at the time, pretty boy Floyd Mayweather. That fight made him money Mayweather, and immediately after that fight, he went into the stratosphere. No doubt about it. He went into the stratosphere, and now could be seen as one of the greatest fighters of all time and one of the most widely recognized fighters of all time, you know, he he did fight some good fighters before that fight, but that you know, there's no denying that, re- that that was the jumping off point for him. And in order for boxing to catch hold again, we need to see fighters have that type of moment. Right. If Keith Thurman were to step into the into the ring, almost said the octagon. <laughs> if he were to step into the ring with a Mayweather or a Pacquiao, and if he would defeat them, one of them, he would be elevated. To that status. Absolutely. And I'm 100% with you. Obviously, for our show's sake, we should we would like to have some debate on this, but I'm 100% with you. I think that's exactly what boxing is lacking, is guys with name value. And that's how you get name value. That's by what Mayweather winning. did. You don't get name value by showing up. Mm-hmm. You get it by winning. Anybody can talk a big game, but Manny Pacquiao is this tiny dude from the Philippines who at one point packed a good punch and had some hand speed. You know, there's a there's fighters a that look like that, that, but he was special. And we saw that night in and night out. And a lot of guys are also special, but opportunity 
Well, Pacquiao was special because people wanted him wanted to see him fight somebody. He fought them. He yes. was begging for that Mayweather fight for years, and unfortunately it was most of the time the Mayweather camp that was holding it down. But Pacquiao was an exciting, smaller guy from the Philippines, which is a prototype, may not always be people from the Philippines, but is a prototype we see all the time in modern boxing. But it's what separated him was his ability to put fights together that people wanted to see. And if you had to point out one major problem in boxing today, it's that. You don't put together fights that people want to see. And who knows, is a Pacquiao-Mayweather rematch something people want to see anyway? I would say no. I don't. Like I Look, I'll probably watch it out of interest. Of course. But in terms of boxing skill and just a great fight, there's so many better options than going with two guys that are not in their primes anymore, regardless of how good Pacquiao looked against Vargas. He's not in his prime. And if, when they fought the first time, they weren't in their primes. And, of course, the best option right now in boxing is Andre Ward taking on Sergey the Crusher Kovalev next Saturday. Don't worry, we have not forgotten about that fight next week. We will preview that to the fullest, easily the best fight of 2016 this, was a, this is a matchup we've been waiting for for a long time. I'm so excited that we're finally going to get it. Stay tuned. Next week, we are previewing... U, uh, not UFC. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a UFC mode yes, here, but we, we are, are previewing Kovalev and Ward next week. I'll leave the boxing talk with this, James. Sergey Kovalev versus Andre Ward is one of few fights, if any fights, this year that are really high profile that we could look at as, wow, either guy can win this This fight. is a legitimate super fight. Right. A legitimate super fight. And we do not have those a lot in boxing, but this one is it. Now, we want to get to some new UFC news. Announced the other day that the UFC will be returning to New York City next year. UFC 209 Ooh. will come from the Barclays Center, right here in New York City, in the borough of Brooklyn. And the UFC has been pulling out all the stops for this one. I expect nothing less for UFC 209. Aren't we getting spoiled now oh, as New Yorkers boy. who like the UFC? We've been waiting, and now it's coming in waves. It's like Christmas morning now. At, uh, with, with you know, it's, it's unbelievable. But they're... They're getting their money's worth, the UFC, to use a cliche expression, but UFC is now, MMA in general, is now legalized in New York State. They are going to get as much out of this immediately as they can. And look at all the hype for 205 right now. What's interesting to, to see is going to be, are they, obviously they're probably not going to put a card out to the level of 205, but it's I still impossible. think, it's impossible, but I still think they're going to really ramp it up, at least for their first show now in Barclays Center. It's another milestone show, not to the level of the Garden, but it's it's still a big show. And we will get to the press conference in a second, but Dana White said at the press conference that New York is now fertile ground. They're going to go, they're going to Albany later on in December. They're going to be going to Buffalo Rochester, Syracuse, you know, you name it, they'll be they'll be there and UFC 209 in my opinion will be a very hyped fight, not just because of the spectacle. UFC 205 is as much the spectacle as it is the mm-hmm. fights themselves. UFC 209, here's what I expect. If Chris Weidman 
defeats the soldier of God, Yoel Romero. He will be immediately the probably first in line for that title shot. Chris Weidman being from Long Island, from Baldwin, New York. The Barclays Center, of course, being right there on Long Island. Mm -hmm. The natural main event would be to see Michael Bisping defend his middleweight championship against Chris Weidman. And what a story it would be. It's it's already a great story going into 205 this weekend with the All-American Chris Weidman going up against this guy who pretty much looks like a superhuman, at least in build, in UL Romero, doing it in front of his home fans at Madison Square Garden at the biggest card in the history of the UFC. The storyline could not get any better, maybe unless at 209 he's fighting for the title against Michael Bisping. That would be a better storyline because it's so great that Weidman's fighting in New York, but everything is overshadowed by McGregor. Of course. And if he's headlining, then all the attention is on him. And the attention would be huge for him to get a title shot in his home of Long Island in front of his home fans because these are technically his home fans, but those would be his real home fans on Long Island. They would pay tickets to see him, mm-hmm. not just the spectacle itself. So that is what I expect to come from UFC 209. And now we get to UFC 205. It's here. It finally. is here. Two days, finally. The Octagon will take its rightful place inside Madison Square Garden, and it is finally time for us to make our predictions. We know you've been waiting for them. (laughs) Oh, yes. Now, unfortunately, the news from last week is that Rashad Evans and Tim Kennedy will not be happening at UFC 205. The The only little blip on this card, which isn't that big of a deal, especially compared to other uh, Mm screw-ups in the past. It wasn't one of the 200. Yeah, it wasn't one of the top build. Obviously, it was a fight that people wanted to see, but it wasn't one of the ones on the top bill, to say the least. So that will be taking place at UFC 206 in Toronto next month. So we will now predict the main card fights. Just a quick preview of the Prelim fights, Frankie Edgar will defeat Jeremy Stevens, and he will represent New Jersey in the best way that he can. That is my—I don't think anybody is really picking uh, Jeremy Stevens. No, absolutely not. Uh, Frankie Edgar is by far the biggest star on that prelims card that's going to be on uh, Fox Sports 1, so he's going to be in that main event slot of the prelims. So I expect him to put on a show in that fight. And, uh, you know, not a New York fighter, but a New Jersey native, so it's going to be a homecoming of sorts for him as well. And I expect Khabib to defeat Michael Johnson and set up a really interesting debate as to who would get the next lightweight title shot against either Conor McGregor or Eddie Alvarez, whether it be Tony Ferguson, El Kukui, or Khabib if he were to, def- to defeat Michael Johnson. Well, yeah, the, the lightweight division is going to, regardless of how Eddie Alvarez and Conor McGregor turns out in the main event, it's going to be all jumbled up because if Conor wins, will he even keep the lightweight title he, you know it's not set in stone that he'll keep the lightweight title he could 
just go on and defend the belt he already has. But obviously, it seems like he's going to stay with the light the, the lightweight title. So it would be uh, it's going to be interesting to see, and then maybe that will set up Connor's next fight. Yeah, and it would be it would be easy to decide if Conor McGregor were to relinquish the lightweight title after he won it, then we would see Khabib and Tony Ferguson duke it out for the title, mm-hmm. but the vacated title. I'm not sure if that will happen. There's a lot of questions, and it all kind of revolves around the main event and the fight we're seeing in the prelims. So now we will get to the main card and our first bout of the main card. Here we go. <laughs> Misha Tate takes on Raquel Pennington, known as Rocky. Misha Tate, the number one fighter, the number one contender currently in the women's bantamweight division. Tom, what do you have for me? All right, well, let's take a look here. We got Misha Tate, somebody who got her nose broken by the new bantamweight champion right now who's going to be defending it against Ronda Rousey, Amanda Nunes, and she actually considered quitting the sport for a while, and now here she is again, number one in the 135-pound division, and will probably get the title shot if she wins this fight against Pennington, at least in my opinion. So um, for me here, I think it's going to be a close fight. Tate, what do we know her for, James? She's a great grappler. Oh, absolutely. She's a great submission artist. That's really where she is at her best. Pennington's a great boxer and a striker. She has great head movement. But she can also hold her own when it comes to uh, the ground game. Both of her UFC finishes come with submissions. Uh, in my opinion... Pennington will be able to outstrike her and hold her own, at least on the ground, and avoid Tate's deadly submissions. So I'm giving it to Pennington. You know, Rocky, in my mind, is a good striker, but not an elite striker in the mold of Nunez or even Holly Holm. Misha Tate, the performance that I loved the most from Misha Tate was when she won the championship against Holly Holm because that was a fight she was losing. Mm -hmm. In that fifth round, if... The horn had sounded to end that fight, regardless of what would have happened in the fifth round. Holly Holm would have had her hand raised and would have successfully defended that championship. But Misha Tate got Holly to the ground and submitted her, won that UFC championship, went to UFC 200, and got whooped. She got demolished by Amanda Nunes. So I... I think Raquel, Raquel Pennington, I like her as a fighter, but I don't think, I think if Misha does get that fight to the ground, you know, she should be mad. She's She should be coming out motivated. I like Misha Tate to win this fight, possibly to set up a third fight with Ronda Rousey if she were to defeat Amanda Nunes. We rarely see a third fight. A when trilogy. A trilogy yeah. that goes 2-0. Right. Yeah. The I get I look, I already I said in the beginning that I think it's going to be very close. It's a tough decision. It can go either way. I wouldn't mind giving it to Tate. My thing is, Tate obviously is a great grappler, great submissions, but I think Pennington is a great striker and 
by far, I think, a better striker than Tate is. And it's not like Pennington is a joke when she takes it to the ground. I think she can hold her own well enough with Tate when it goes to the ground game and then outstrike her when they're on the feet. That's why I think Pennington will at least edge this one out. I'm not thinking of a TKO or a knockout. I expect this one to go to decision, and I think Pennington gets it on decision. I predict that Tate wins by decision, not by submission. I believe that she will get her hand raised at the end of the fight. Now, the next bout on the UFC 205 main card is the cowboy himself, Donald Cerrone, will take on Kevin Gastelum. There we go. I miss this music, by the way. Right, this is from what, the original UFC video I mean, game? not even the original. It's, it's from all the UFC cards up to... I don't even know. Was it 194? Why did they get rid? Was it 187? I'm not sure. This is this is such a cool song. Yeah, I'm getting hyped up just listening to it right now. So, all right, Donald Cerrone, Kevin Gastelum, Tom, what do you got for me? So, Cerrone and Gastelum, I think this has a potential. I think out of all the cards that we're looking, all the fights that we're looking at on the main card right now, I think this one's getting some of the least attention in my opinion, but it has the potential to be possibly one of the most entertaining fights that we're going to see on this main card. And I say that because Cerrone and Gastelum are two very active, very accurate strikers. I think this one's going to really be a war. The thing is, Gastelum doesn't have a lot of name value in terms of the guys that he's beat. Cerrone obviously is a name, so if Gastelum can get out and beat him on this one, that would be huge in giving him some you know, some place in the title picture uh, in the welterweight division. But Cerrone has been unbelievable since he moved up to welterweight, and I think he'll outstrike Gastelum. I think it's going to come down to who's the better striker, and I think he's going to outstrike uh, Gastelum and take this one. And I do agree with you that this fight does have potential to be the fight of the night. And Donald Cerrone's move to welterweight has been... He's been tremendous. It's a dream. Three fights, three finishes, three performances of the night. He looks. He's looked unstoppable. His pow- the power behind his punches has gone up tenfold since he's moved up to welterweight, and he wasn't a bad puncher to begin with. I think Tyron Woodley and Steven Thompson better watch out because Donald Cerrone is still waiting for that elusive UFC title belt, and he's on a mission. Does the winner of this fight immediately get the title shot between Woodley and Thompson? You know what? That is very, very hard to say. Robbie Lawler is still in that mix, Uh and, you know, it's... It's tough because four fights in in your fifth fight to get that shot, I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's certainly not out of the realm yeah, it's of possibility. N- it's not 100% out of the question, but in my opinion, whoever wins, it's going to be maybe s- one more win after this. Then maybe they get the title shot. I think Cerrone's pedigree might mm-hmm. put him at that point. But I will go with Donald Cerrone, and I think that he will finish Kevin Gastelum just as he's finished his three previous fights at the welterweight level. I predict that it will not go the full three rounds. So now that that is out of the way, it is time for 
the fight that I am most looking forward to other than the main event. The All-American, Chris Weidman, and the Soldier of God, Yoel Romero. These two middleweights love to slug it out. This is a high-stakes fight for both men, but even more so for Chris Weidman. All the pressure. He did, he, he, when he came on the show, he downplayed the pressure, but you have to think that there's some pressure there. Absolutely. He might be the most nervous man in Madison Square Garden two nights from now, but this, this matchup for me is going to be really a chess match on the ground. You got a silver medalist in the Olympics taking on, uh, multiple-time All-American in Division One wrestling. That's why they call him the All-American, Chris Weidman. So that's really, I think, where this fight's going to be won and lost. In terms of stand-up, Romero tries to land that one. He, he's a prototypical wrestler. He's great on the ground, obviously, but then he's also very effective with the overhand right, and he's going to try to land that one big punch like he did in his last fight. But where I, what Weidman puts... Where Weidman goes ahead for me is his durability and the fact that he can go five rounds. We know what his stamina is like. Romero's never even been in a uh, fight that went the distance, uh, 25, a 25-minute fight. So I think that's where it will separate Weidman. So I think Weidman will be able to withstand the barrage of punches, these hard punches that Romero's going to throw at him. And I think it's pretty much even on the ground, in my opinion. So they'll be able to, Weidman will be able to wear down Romero and he'll get the win, in my opinion. One interesting thing, which we did discuss with Chris Weidman, will, Yo Romero, will Yoel Romero be a different fighter now that he is no longer using performance-enhancing drugs? Presumably. Presumably. With the USADA testing now in effect, you would think that Yoel Romero will, would have learned his lesson. So if he is not on performance-enhancing drugs, will he be a different fighter? I am not sure. We have seen guys be different fighters after the USADA testing was implemented in the UFC. Now, for Chris Weidman, his win over Anderson Silva will always be the moment that we will remember him by. Always. It was, a, what a, it was, pro, it was the biggest victory in UFC history and still is. Wow. The single biggest win. Not the greatest fight, not the most significant moment, but in terms of victories, it is the single biggest win in UFC history is Chris Weidman's win over Anderson Silva. That was the moment that we will always that we will remember him by. But this is the moment that will define his career. What Chris Weidman does here at Madison Square Garden Will, we, will be what defines him as a fighter. I think if he can get the takedown, which I think he can, Yoel Romero, remember, he has been a, he is a very loose fighter. He is susceptible at times to getting taken down despite the elite level of wrestling that he possesses. And once Chris Weidman has you on the ground, ask Vitor Belfort, He's going to go after you. Ask Lyoto. He is going to pound you. His ground and pound is excellent. As mm -hmm. good as there is in the UFC. So if he gets Yoel on the ground, it hurts. <laughs> Absolutely. But at the same time, 
Can he outstrike Yoel Romero? Can Yoel, Yoel Romero has some of the biggest power that you will see. You could also ask Yoel, you could also ask Leo Machida yeah, about so. that. Yeah, well, Yoel has scary, scary, scary power, but he's not a high output puncher in the way that he strikes. So he's always going to be trying to land the big punch on Weidman. And stamina, his entire career in the UFC, has been a problem for Romero. So Romero's going to be trying going to be trying to hit Weidman with that big punch. If Weidman can be able to either avoid the big punch or take the punch and be durable enough to outlast it, it's all about wearing Romero down. Romero's going to be tired already as they get to those third and fourth rounds. That makes him even more susceptible to the takedown than he is normally. So I think we're in agreement here that takedowns and the ground game is going to be the difference for, in our opinion, Weidman defeating Romero. Chris Weidman has a five-inch reach advantage, which is significant, especially when you're a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Because you want to keep the distance when you're a wrestler just right. And his reach advantage, he should be able to find the distance with Yoel Romero and maybe sucker him in. And with that crowd there, with everything on the line... I have faith in Chris Wyman. I say that he defeats Yoel Romero by TKO. I believe he will take Yoel down, and he will pound him out. And that is how I think that will go. Agreed. I, I would say it goes to decision, but I don't think Romero has enough in the tank to even take it to decision. So now we get to the three title fights here at UFC 205. The first one being contested by two Polish fighters. Right, the battle of the Polish women fighters. The champion of the world, Joanna Drzejczyk, will go toe-to-toe with Karolina Kowalkiewicz. Of course, both from Poland. Joanna, 12-0 in her career. And the odds for this fight... There we go. I was waiting for that. The odds of this fight are lopsided, to say the very least. Joanna is a minus 410 favorite. Easily the largest favorite on this entire card. It's not even close. It's, it really is not close. Minus 410, Kovalkiewicz plus 340. And that's not an accident. First of all, I want to just recap something. From today at the press conference, during their stare down, Joanna actually headbutted Carolina, which, which which seemed a bit unnecessary. Yeah, I mean you're already an unbelievable favorite against your opponent. I don't understand why you needed to do that. The only thing I can think of is that they're kind of getting overshadowed by maybe some of the other fights in the main card, and maybe that was something to draw up interest here in the waning moments before UFC 205 two days from now. Well, here's my here. This won't be a long prediction for me. This should be a squash match. Another wrestling term, but yes. This should be a squash match. Joanna is unstoppable in that strawweight division. She has crushed everybody in her path. I expect nothing different. Carolina, I respect her. She's a game fighter. But she is going to get knocked out 
Yeah, and we we talked. I just said that there's not a lot of interest in this fight, and it's not for any reason that you know Conor McGregor's taking attention away or some of these other fights are taking attention away. The reason that there's not a lot of attention on this fight is because Carolina has no chance of winning this fight. <laughs> Joanna is been on an unbelievably dominant role in this as the strawweight champion, the women's strawweight champion, and let me tell you, James, it's not ending Saturday night. The best thing that you could say about Carolina, she has a high punch output. She could throw a lot of punches. She throws 25 to 30 punches a minute or every two minutes. But the only thing is is that Joanna can match that output and she can be more accurate and more powerful with her punches. So the one thing that Carolina has over her is something Joanna can do better. So it's it, it won't be close, and I honestly expect a first-round knockout from Joanna. Yeah, I'm going to go... I'm gonna go second round. Give yeah, you give know, her. Joanna's gone gotten out of the first round before. She 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 can lay it on you at times gradually. So I'm gonna see second round, but I think that fight uh will be a, a wash. It will be a walkover. So the welterweight championship matchup. The chosen one, Tyron Woodley, with lock horns with Steven Wonderboy Thompson. And boy, is this an intriguing one. Woodley is the chosen one, but the Vegas odds makers have chosen Wonder Boy to be a pretty decent sized favorite at minus 193. Woodley, the champion, at plus 168. That is a rare. I mean, sometimes you see the challenger as the favorite, but not, not like that. Well, James, I think. For that, there is a reason for that type of odds with Wonderboy Thompson coming in, and I think that's because he produces a really bad matchup for Woodley coming mm-hmm. into his first welterweight title defense. And I say that because Thompson, his bread and butter is really keeping his distance, creating angles, and he's a great counterpuncher. For Woodley, how did he beat uh, Robbie Lawler to win the title in the first place? He did it by knocking him out, and Woodley relies heavily on on landing that big punch, and that's going to be very difficult to do and against a long, lanky fighter like Wonderboy Thompson. Woodley needs a finish mm-hmm. in order to win this fight. If this goes five, I do not see Tyron Woodley winning three or more of those rounds. I just don't. No, I mean, Woodley, like you said, his only chance of winning this would to be to get it in sort of like a boxing range where he can land that big overhand right pepper in his jab and land a right over it. That's going to be too difficult to do, in my opinion. Thompson is too crafty in his positioning and his head movement. I think those odds are there for a reason. Thompson wins this one by TKO. You know, we almost I almost feel like Woodley is getting disrespected a little bit. He is, and I, this entire thing has been him trying to gain that respect because a lot of people said he didn't even deserve the title shot against Lawler that he got, but then he makes the most of it and wins the title. But this entire process of getting to this fight at UFC 205 has been him trying to prove to himself and prove to fans of the UFC that he is a legitimate welterweight champion. And I think he's a legitimate welterweight contender. Is he a welterweight champion? Well, he is the well, he is the welterweight champion. Is he legitimate? I mean, he's legitimate because he knocked out Robbie Lawler. However, Stephen Thompson is one of the more unique fighters in the UFC today. He's actually almost cut from a sort of a Conor McGregor mold, the way he fights. He's very unique. 
Absolutely. And, you know, his wide array of strikes, his kicks, you know, his counter punching, it's it's really it's really every every time he steps into the octagon, it's hard to take your eyes off of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I'm going to pick him to win this fight. I predict that he will win four rounds and Tyron Woodley will win one. I believe this will go to a decision. And I believe that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson will walk away as the new UFC welterweight champion of the world. Yeah. And then Woodley, though, if he does, if he is able to get into that boxing range and land that big punch to knock out Thompson, which will be a difficult task, I think he finally does legitimize himself. He's not there yet. You could talk about the Lawler knockout all you want, but if he beats Thompson on this card, on this stage, with this magnitude, then I think he brings himself up to that level as a legitimate champion because. If you just look at the guys he fought before Lawler, nobody really jumps off the page. Lawler was really the only signature. Well, guys he beat. The, yeah, the guys he beat. Lawler's been the only really signature victory that he's had. So if he goes out and beats Thompson, then he finally gets what he's been looking for. But neither of us think he will. I mean, he's beaten guys. He's beaten good fighters. But nobody Josh with Koscheck, name value. he caught at uh, the tail end. You know, when he beat Josh Koscheck. Josh Koscheck was, I think, washed up at that point. His win over Con- or Condit was a good one. You know, he beat Dung. He beat Kim and Castellum. You know, that was a that was a fight, really, that a lot of people thought Gastelum won. Mm-hmm. So you know what? We'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll see. But we're both going with Thompson. So the main event of the evening. Before we get to that fight. I want to recap some of the events that happened between these two at the press conference. First of all, when the press conference started, and and those listening now may have heard all this news, it was trending very highly on Twitter, it it was generating a lot of buzz what happened. So here's a brief recap. Press conference starts, Conor McGregor is not there. Conor McGregor ended up showing up 14 minutes late. <laughs> Eddie Alvarez said that he will... Eddie Alvarez walked off the stage saying that when he com- when Connor comes, he'll, go, he'll come. And he walked off the stage, by the way, not before insulting the entire nation of Ireland. <laughs> what did he say? Oh, he said... He just said that this is that Ireland should be embarrassed, uh, that Irish people are basically stupid. They don't even, they can't even understand what they say and whatnot. He, he insulted the country of Ireland. He's not winning himself any fans. Uh, <laughs> no. There's yeah, he, going to be a heavy Irish presence at Madison Square Garden, right. I think. The, and the crowd, first of all, unbelievable crowd. There were four guys next to me at this press conference that came from Philadelphia and were cheering for Eddie Alvarez. There were four guys. Everyone else in the building was screaming for Conor McGregor, chanting Ole, singing the song, the Conor McGregor song. They were going nuts, booing the heck out of Alvarez every time he appeared on camera. And when Conor showed up, 
he came, he wore a mink coat, a <laughs> white mink coat. I saw the picture. And what looked to be pajama pants. <laughs> Unbelievable. And he did not care. <laughs> he did not care that he was late. He did not care how he looked. He had was having this was his world. This he was in his element. And of course Eddie shows up in a suit. In of course he's well dressed, dressed to the nines. You know, Dana's holding both of them back. Connor grabbed a chair. Now it's it's getting even more like pro wrestling. It now. was. Connor First of all, oh, first of all, when Connor came to the stage, he took Eddie's belt and put it on his side of the table. Eddie came back, took the belt back. They got to do a Jerry Springer type, I'm going to hold me back type situation. Eddie put threw his chair down, and Connor grabbed it, or grabbed a chair, and looked, li- and looked like he was going to throw it at Eddie. Was he ever going to throw that chair? God, no. Definitely not. Of course not. not. There but- was no chance on earth. But he knew that he was throwing that chair. He knew what audience he was playing to, and it played right into their hands. So, an unbelievable scene today. And Mac was just in in premium McGregor mode, as you would expect for one of the most anticipated bouts in UFC history. The main event... And it had to be this. It had to be McGregor. You know, and I originally thought that maybe the UFC would play it safe when it came to this main event. And do something like Cormier, maybe Cormier versus Johnson. Maybe if they couldn't get Conor McGregor. Real quick, Mario, keep the song going throughout the rest of the segment. You got it? Okay, good. Three, two, you know, that was always in the cards. But when this fight was announced, you knew it had to be it. You could not have the first show at Madison Square Garden without Conor McGregor being the main event of the evening. And this is such an intriguing fight. First of all, Conor McGregor cannot have a bad fight. Right. Never. He is so entertaining in the octagon and out of the octagon. Tom, how do you see it playing out? Well, there's one question in my eyes coming into this fight for McGregor. Just one question. I think this it's the question that's been plaguing him since uh, his pair of fights with Diaz. It's what is his stamina going to be like? Is he going to come out like he does in every fight and try to knock a guy out in the first round. Is he going to come out guns ablazing against Eddie Alvarez? And then, if he does that, will he have the stamina to go five rounds and have another war like he did against Nate Diaz? Because honestly, in that Diaz, in that pair of Diaz fights, we finally saw the crack in his game, which is that he sometimes tires himself out, and that allows his opponent to capitalize on him. So that's the one glaring question coming in from McGregor. If he's been working on his stamina the way that he says he is, then I don't think there's a chance Alvarez can beat him. 
is this too quick of a turnaround? Well, I mean, you'd have to ask McGregor for that one, well, but I it's not like he's coming off a 16-second knockout of Jose Aldo. This was a five-round war with Nate Diaz. He, both guys bloodied the heck absolutely beaten out of them. So I can understand why people are saying that, but Connor's a tough dude. He really is a tough dude. Let's not forget that that fight was less than three months ago. Right. Think about that for a second. That fight was less than three months ago on August 20th. So the this turnaround... Is so quick. I don't know if this ter- if it was enough to really get his cardio to where it should be. Going five rounds helps, though. Going right. five round, going the distance already does help. It's not uncharted territory anymore. It's not like this mystical thing where a fighter hasn't gone five rounds and you don't know. It's the unknown. It's a certainty now. He's been there before. He's experienced the championship round. So that's going to work in his favor. But like you said, is three months enough time to significantly build up your cardio? I'm not sure. It might be, but it might not be. I don't think he prepared for this fight any differently other than that. I think Eddie Alvarez, you get what you get with him. Yeah, he's tremendously talented, but he is the prototype of a guy that Conor McGregor's been in there before and beaten. He is a very unorthodox fighter that has great success against a prototypical stocky wrestler type like Eddie Alvarez. I agree with you 100%. Connor said that from day one. And you can't dispute it. Just look at the guys he's beaten. And Eddie Alvarez, by the way, he's been through the ringer as a professional mixed martial artist. He was the first star that Bellator had ever had. He is. He helped that promotion to get really where they are today. And ever since he's been in the UFC... He has been through the ringer, fought, fighting the best guys in that division, night in and night out. So he deserves to be—he deserved that victory against Dos Anjos for everything he's given to the sport. I just don't see him coming out with a victory today. No, I don't. And I think, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, just the pedigree of Eddie Alvarez, because it can't be understated how great his pedigree is. He's someone that's been on top of the lightweight division now in the UFC and, of course, in Bellator as a pioneer, uh, really, for that company. And he's someone that's put together a really, really impressive resume in the world of mixed martial arts. And he absolutely deserves to be in the spot that he's in, headlining UFC 205. It's just that he is someone that I don't think he can really... There's not many holes in Connor's game to begin with. And I don't think he's somebody that possesses enough to find those cracks either way. So where, what round do you believe... Who do you who do you believe will win this fight and in what method and in what round? Well, I'll give it to Connor. I do not think he's going to finish Eddie in really? the first or second round. I don't think so. I say this is going to be somewhat of a different fight than what we've seen from Connor. I trust 
that he said it, and I trust it. I think he's obsessed with being the best, and he saw that hole in his game was stamina. I think he's going to. He has worked on his stamina, even if it's only been three months, and we're going to see it in the results of this fight. I think we're going to see another decision where Conor McGregor wins by decision against Eddie Alvarez. May not be a popular choice, but I think that's what's going to happen. Conor McGregor should knock Eddie Alvarez out. He should. He has the most punching power from a lesser weight fighter that I've ever seen. When he hits you, it's you're almost automatically hurt by that punch. I do not think that Eddie Alvarez could last this fight if it stays on the feet and if it is contested with the fists. Can Eddie get him down? And can Eddie keep him down? Connor is not a bad defender of the takedowns. I mean, he's been taken down before, but he can but he has the ability to get back up. We saw that when he faced Chad Mendez. He has the ability and that and you would assume that he's been working on that. Because Eddie Alvarez probably has the an idea that if this fight stays on the feet, he he's not going to win. Yeah, he knows that. And I think he knows that Connor is not terrible at defending takedowns. He's pretty good at it, as a matter of fact. But he'd much rather just keep going to the takedown, building up points. That's where I think he's going to try to build up points against McGregor because he's not going to do it on the feet. But I still think McGregor's good enough to outlast him. But I think Al- Alvarez is going to surprise people. I don't. I think he has a better chin and a better stand-up game than we're giving him credit for. So I think he'll be able to outlast that early barrage from McGregor, and it'll go to decision. But McGregor will build up enough points to win it. He will outlast the early barrage. I think this will be an action fight, just as all of Connor's fights are. Yeah, I think he is tough enough to last the first round. I think he's tough enough to last the second round. But I know in my heart of hearts that there is only one way that this night could end. And that is with Conor McGregor getting his hand raised and becoming the new UFC lightweight champion of the world. I predict that in the third round, Conor McGregor will knock Eddie Alvarez out and he will come away With the title, he will hold up two gold belts, becoming the first UFC fighter to do that. And he will cap off the greatest night in mixed martial arts history. And I don't care if I get every prediction I made wrong tonight. I just want to see a great card that lives up to all of this immense hype that's going in to Saturday night. If we get the greatest card in UFC history and I'm wrong with every decision, I'll still go to sleep that night a happy man. Everybody, buckle your seatbelts. It is finally here in two nights. UFC 205, Madison Square Garden. I will be there along with 21,000 of my best friends. (laughs) And... With that, this wraps up this very special edition of the Pound for Pound podcast. We have been building to UFC 205 all this time. It is finally here. Only one thing to do now is watch 
and for my good partner, the voice of God, Tom Terzulli, for our producer, the venerable Mario Castro, I'm James Cargan. I will be providing the live updates on Twitter at Real Cargan. I will play, I will be recapping the event at WFUVSports.org. Please stay tuned for WFUV Sports complete exclusive coverage of UFC 205. And until then, we bid you all adieu.